Welcome to another episode of the National Pulse podcast. I'm Raheem Kassam, editor-in-chief of thenationalpulse.com, and I'm coming to you today from Phoenix, Arizona. I got a wonderful reception from some listeners at the airport at... uh, at Phoenix Sky Harbor Airport last night. That was a uh, that was a lot of fun, and I uh, I didn't know they were going to be there. I don't think they knew for sure that that was where I was going to be. But they uh, they caught me, and it was re- it's always nice to meet people uh, in person and and take some pictures and chat a little bit. I just got off the uh, I just got off the plane, so I was a little bit uh, a little bit grumpy. It's a five hour flight with a mask on the whole way, is not pleasant. Not a pleasant way to be, and of course. You know, it has very serious, uh, serious implications on on everything that's going on right now. You you live it as a as a totally different thing to to if it happens in the abstract, right? And I haven't flown uh, very much in the last year since the uh, beginning of the pandemic. And let me tell you something: it's 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 truly miserable, um, and people looked just more and more miserable <laughs> as a result of it. Look, uh, there is uh, a lot going on at the moment. I'm out here. I'm giving a uh, giving a talk at uh, Hillsdale College uh, event tomorrow morning. And I forgot to bring with me. I brought obviously brought my microphone and brought my mic stand. I brought the recorder. I bought the little mixer, the portable mixer board. Bought the cable to connect to my computer. Bought the adapter because, of course, all Apple devices need an adapter nowadays. So the adapter, so I can put the SD card in it and it plugs in and everything. Okay, everything. Brought everything. What did I forget? <laughs> I forgot the cables. I forgot the cables that go from the microphone to the board and the cables that go from the board to the recorder. And so that's why you're hearing from me a little bit late today. That's why I don't even have time to do a full podcast with you today because I actually have to go to greet the my, my hosts for the, uh, for the conference that I'm speaking at in just a few moments' time. But I thought, given the sad, sad passing of Rush Limbaugh yesterday... And what I did this morning is actually listened back through his kind of infamous, if you're a political nerd, infamous 2009 CPAC speech. Totally, totally different times back then, totally different candidates, different GOP, different conservative movement. The Tea Party was just beginning. Uh, McCain had just lost to Obama. And uh, and CPAC was still cool back then, had uh, still was in a tight spot with great events and... Uh, yeah, I was listening to it and I just thought to myself, all right, well, like, I'm probably not going to have the ability to do a full podcast for the audience today. Uh, we're working on just so many, so many things. And I'll, I'll make mention of one more thing before I do the next thing. <laughs> I realized that was eloquent. I'm going to play for you the whole Rush Limbaugh speech from that CPAC. That's what you're going to hear instead of me today on the podcast. I hope that's okay with you. I know some of you will have heard it already. Um, listen to it again if you if you feel so inclined. But for those that haven't heard it, um, it's, it's really worth listening to. It's really interesting. I'm not saying he's right about everything, uh, but it's a very good speech in terms of directionally where conservatism goes, directionally where if only people had listened to him, put it that way. Um, not on everything. Again, he's he's totally wrong on the Wall Street stuff. He's totally wrong on the big corporate America stuff, going to bat for all these CEOs. But, you know, park that. It was a different time. Park that for a second. Just listen to the wider message underneath all of the things. Uh, the other thing I just want to make mention of to you is, is we were really, really grateful uh, to see that the National Pulse is work, our news reports and our investigations had been cited, I think, three times in the Republican Study Committee's 
document that it released yesterday about the influence of the Chinese Communist Party in the United States of America. It's a really important document. Uh, the first six pages came out yesterday. I believe there's another 120-page report that's going to come out. And I implore you all to get that level engaged in, in your politics, whether that's your issue or not. I don't know if China's your issue or not, foreign policy is your issue or not. Find the way to get engaged on your issue like this. It's a real. It's going to be really important. And I was really, you know, just just honoured to see that our reporting had been cited in an official document like that. It's a testament to the hard work that Natalie Winters does on all of our investigations. It's a testament to to you guys, the audience, for helping us, to helping us grow, for helping us do this work. Uh, so thank you. And if you want to be, if you're not part of it already, and you want to be part of it, it's at the National Pulse, thenationalpulse.com forward slash support and on that note i want to leave you with this uh, this just incredible rush limbaugh speech um enjoy i have someone in back taking phone numbers <laughs> in fact in fact i would like to introduce to you uh my security chief man who runs all of my security his name is joseph stalin joseph would you please <laughs> safe. I am safe from any liberal attack in public because they would be afraid of offending Stalin. Now, the opportunity here to address the nation is a serious one. It really is. And I, uh, uh, I want to take it seriously. I want to address something. I know that people are probably watching this who never have listened to my program and may not even really know what conservatism is. They think they do based on how they've been told, the way we've been impugned and maligned and so forth. Uh, one of the things that is totally erroneous about me, and I just want to get this up front, is that I'm pompous. <laughs> and, and that I am arrogant. Neither of these things are remotely true. I can tell you a joke to illustrate this. Larry King passed away, goes to heaven. He's greeted by St. Peter at the gates. St. Peter says, welcome, Mr. King. It's great to have you here. I want to show you around, give you an idea of what's here. Maybe you can pick a place that you'd like to reside. King says, I just have one question. Is Rush Limbaugh here? No, 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 no. He's got a lot of time yet, Mr. King. No so St. Peter begins the tour. Larry King sees the various places, and they're just beyond anything we can imagine in terms of beauty. Finally gets to the biggest room of all with this giant throne. And over the throne is a flashing, beautiful, angelic neon sign that says Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> and Larry King looks at St. Peter and says, I thought you said he wasn't here. Says, he's not, he's not. This is God's room. He just thinks he's Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> So you see, I'm not pompous. <laughs> now, seriously, for those of you watching on C-SPAN as well and on Fox, uh, I want to tell you who we all are in this room. I want to tell you who conservatives are. We conservatives have not done a good enough job of just laying out basically who we are because we make the mistake of assuming that people know. Well, what they know is largely incorrect based on the way we are portrayed in pop culture, in the drive-by media, 
uh, by the Democrat Party. Let me tell you who we conservatives are. We love people. When we look out over the United States of America, when we are anywhere, when we see a group of people such as this or anywhere, we see Americans, we see human beings. We don't see groups, we don't see victims, we don't see people we want to exploit. What we see, what we see is potential. We do not look out across the country and see the average American, the person that makes this country work, we do not see that person with contempt. We don't think that person doesn't have what it takes. We believe that person can be the best he or she wants to be if certain things are just removed from their path, like onerous taxes, regulations, and too much government. want every American to be the best he or she chooses to be. We recognize, we recognize that we are all individuals. We love and revere our founding documents, the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. We believe that the preamble of the Constitution contains an inarguable truth that we are all endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights, among them life. Yes. Liberty. Freedom. And the pursuit of happiness. Now, those of you watching at home may wonder why this is being applauded. <laughs> we conservatives think all three are under assault. want to tell anybody how to live. It's up to you. If you want to make the best of yourself, feel free. If you want to ruin your life, we'll try to stop and make it because it's, but it's a waste. We look over the country as it is today, we see so much waste, human potential that's been destroyed by 50 years of a welfare state, by a failed war on poverty that has destroyed. We love the people of this country, and we want this to be the greatest country it can be, but we do understand, as people created and endowed by our Creator, we're all individuals. We resist the effort to group us. We resist the effort to make us feel that we're all the same, that we're no different than anybody else. We're all different. There are no two things or people 
in this world who are created in a way that they end up with equal outcomes. That's up to them. They are created equal to give the chance. So, <clears throat> we don't hate anybody. We don't. I mean, the racism in this country, if you ask me, and I know many people in this audience, let me just deal with this head on. You know what the cliche is of a conservative, racist, sexist, bigot, homophobe. Uh, excuse me, ladies and gentlemen of America, but if you were paying attention, I know you were, the racism in our culture was exclusively and fully on display in the Democrat primary last year. It was, it was not us asking whether Barack Obama was authentic. What we were asking is, is he wrong? We concluded, yes. We still think so, but we didn't ask if he was authentically black. We didn't say, as some Southern Christian leadership conference leader said, uh, Barack is not authentic, he's not got any slave blood. He's really not down for the struggle, but his wife does. So don't expect the race industry to go away. Southern Christian Leadership Conference, you may not even know this, it wasn't reported in the drive-by media. The racism, the sexism, the bigotry that we are all charged with. Just so you across the United States of America know, and you'll see demonstrated here as the afternoon goes on, doesn't exist on our side. We want everybody to succeed. I am... You know why? You know why? We, we want the country to succeed, and for the country to succeed, its people, its individuals must succeed. Everyone among us must be pursuing his ambition or her desire, whatever, with excellence, trying to be the best they can be, not told as they are told by the Democrat Party. You really can't do that. You don't have what it takes. Besides, you're a minority or you're a woman and there are too many people that are willing to discriminate against you. You can't get anywhere. You need to depend on us. Well, <laughs> take a look. Someone has to say this. I am thrilled for the opportunity to say it in my first national address to the nation. I'm going to touch on this in more detail in a moment, but this is just to get you thinking. Take a look at all of the constituency groups that for 50 years have been depending on the Democrat Party to improve their lives. And you tell me if you find any. They're still complaining. They are still griping about the same problems. Their problems don't get fixed by government, and those lives have been poisoned. Those lives have been cut short by false promises from government representatives who have said, don't worry about it, we'll take care of you. Just vote for us.
For those of you just tuning in on the Fox News Channel or C-SPAN, I am Rush Limbaugh, and I want everyone in this room and every one of you around the country to succeed. I want anyone who believes in life, liberty, pursuit of happiness to succeed. And I want any force, any person, any element of an overarching big government that would stop your success I want that organization, that element, or that person to fail. I want you to succeed. Also, for those of you in the drive-by media watching, I have not needed a teleprompter for anything I've said. <laughs> and nor do any of us need a teleprompter because our beliefs are not the result of calculations and contrivances. Our beliefs are not the result of a deranged psychology. Our beliefs are our core. Our beliefs are our hearts. We don't have to make notes about what we believe. We don't have to write down, oh gee, does I believe this? Do I believe? We can tell people what we believe off the top of our heads, and we can do it with passion, and we can do it with clarity, and we can do it persuasively. Some of us just haven't had the inspiration or motivation to do so in a number of years, but that's about to change. For example, we gather here. I talked to David and Lisa uh, in the uh, super exclusive private green room that nobody but about 55 people were allowed into. <laughs> and, they, and, and they said that there's a sense of liberation here among all of you that are attending CPAC. And I understand what the sense of liberation is about. But don't make the mistake at the same time of feeling liberated as thinking we're better and we can do better as a minority because we're not a minority and if you start thinking of yourselves as a minority you're going to be defensive and you're going to allow the majority to set the agenda and the premise you're responding to it the american people may not all vote the way we would wish them to but more americans than you know live their lives as conservatives in one degree or another and they they are waiting for leadership. We need conservative leadership. We can take this country back. All we need is to nominate the right candidate. It's no more complicated than that. People are... Now let me speak about President Obama for just a second. President Obama is one of the most gifted politicians, one of the most gifted men that I have ever witnessed. He has extraordinary talents. He has communications skills that hardly anyone can surpass. No, seriously. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, be I'm being very serious about this. It just 
breaks my heart that he does not use these extraordinary talents and gifts to motivate and inspire the American people to be the best they can be. He's doing just the opposite. And it, it's, such, it's a shame. <laughs> President Obama has the ability, he has the ability to inspire excellence in people's pursuits. He has the ability to do all this, yet he pursues a path, seeks a path that punishes achievement, that punishes earners, that punishes, and he speaks negatively of the, of, the, uh, of, the, of the country. Ronald Reagan used to speak of a shining city on a hill. Barack Obama portrays America as a soup kitchen and some dark night in a corner of America that's very obscure. He constantly is telling the American people that bad times are ahead, worse times are ahead. And it, it's, it's troubling because this is the United States of America. Anybody ever ask, I'm in awe of our country, and I asked this question a lot as I got older. We're less than 300 years old. We're younger than nations that have been on this planet for thousands of years. We, nevertheless, in less than 300 years, and by the way, we're no different as human beings than any of them, any others around the world. Our DNA is no different. We're not better just because we're born in America. There's nothing that sets us apart. How did this happen? How did the United States of America become the world's lone superpower, the, the, the world's economic engine, the most prosperous opportunity for an advanced lifestyle that humanity has ever known? How did this happen? And why, pray tell, does the President of the United States want to destroy it? It saddens me. The freedom that we spoke of earlier is the freedom, it's the ambition, it's the, the desire, the wherewithal, the passions that people have that gave us the great entrepreneurial advances, the great inventions, the greatest food production, the human lifestyle advances in this country. Why shouldn't that be rewarded? Why is that now the focus of punishment? Why is that now the focus of, of, of uh, blame? Why doesn't Mayor Bloomberg the other day, ladies and gentlemen, resisting his governor's call for an increased tax on the rich in New York, had some astounding numbers. Eight million people live in New York. Forty thousand of those eight million pay roughly 60 to 70 percent of New York's operating budget. He was afraid that if he raised taxes on those people, some of them might leave. Mayor, one already has, by the way. <laughs> Stop and think of this, though. Stop and think of this. 40,000 people out of 8 million. He's, got a, he's, he's right. If 10,000 of them leave, or 5,000, they've got a huge problem. Because New York has its own welfare state inside the one the federal government's created. They've got a dependency class that has grown up and been educated. Their entitlement is to be fed and taken care of by these evil, mean people who have more than they do. <clears throat> In, if, if New York City, New York State, or Washington, D.C. were a business, these, these 40,000 people would be taken on golf tournament trips to Los Angeles, and they would be wined and dined, and they would be thanked, and they would be encouraged to keep it up. They wouldn't be told they're the problem. They wouldn't be told, except there's us. 
You know, I pride my accuracy rating. There is one other business where the customer is always wrong, and that's the media. Sorry about it. <laughs> well, it's true, it's true. Well, have you ever called them to complain about whatever they do? They say, yes, sir, yes, sir, three bags full. They hang up and say, you're too stupid to know how they're doing what they're doing. You can't get it. You are not sophisticated enough. So that's another business where the customer is always wrong. But seriously, the people who have achieved great things, most of it is not inherited. Most wealth in this country is the result of entrepreneurial, just plain old hard work. There's no reason to punish it. There's no reason to raise taxes on these people. Barack Obama, the Democrat Party, have one responsibility, and that's to respect the oath they gave to protect, defend, and follow the U.S. Constitution. They... They don't... They don't have the right to take money that's not theirs, and none of it is, from the back pockets of producers and give it to groups like ACORN, which are going to advance the Democrat Party. If, if anybody but government were doing this, it would be a crime. And many of us think it's bordering on that as it exists now. President Obama is so busy trying to foment and create anger in a created atmosphere of crisis. He is so busy fueling the emotions of class envy that he has forgotten it's not his money he's spending. He has, seems to have, in fact, the money he's spending is not ours. He is spending wealth that has yet to be created. And that is not sustainable. It will not work. This has been tried around the world. And every time it's been tried, it's a failed disaster. What's the longest war in American history? Is somebody saying the war on poverty? Smart group. Yep, war on poverty. War on poverty essentially started in the 30s as part of the New Deal. But it really ramped up in the 60s with Lyndon Bain Johnson, part of the Great Society, War on Poverty. We have transferred something like 10 trillion, maybe close to 11 trillion, from producers and earners to non-producers and earners since 1965. And yet, as I listen to the Democrat Party campaign, why America is still a soup kitchen, the poor are still poor, and they have no hope. And they're poor for what reason? Well, they're poor because of us, because we don't care, because we've gotten rich by taking from them. That's what kids in school are taught today. That's what others are said to the media. You know why they're poor? You know why they remain poor? Because their lives have been destroyed by the never-ending government aid that's designed to help them, but it destroys ambition. It destroys the education they might get to learn to be self-fulfilling. And it breaks our heart. It breaks our heart. It is... 
We lose track of numbers with all of the money, with all the money that's been transferred, redistributed, with all the charitable giving in this country. Ladies and gentlemen, there ought not be any poverty except among those who genuinely are ill-equipped. But most of the people in poverty in this country are equipped for far much more. They've just been beaten down. They've been told, don't worry, we'll take care of you. There's nothing out there for you anyway. You're going to be discriminated against. And it breaks our heart to see this. We can't have a great country and a growing economy with more and more people being told they have a right because of some injustice that's been done to them or some discrimination that they have a right to the earnings of others. And it's gotten so out of hand now that what worries me is that this administration, the Barack Obama administration, is actively seeking to expand the welfare state in this country because he wants to control it. George Will once asked Dr. Friedrich von Hayek, tremendous classical liberal economist, great man. George Will in 1975, Dr. von Hayek, why is it that intellectuals, you know, supposed smartest people in the room, why is it that intellectuals can look right out their windows, look at their own homes, their cars, look at their universities, and not see the bounties and the growth and the greatness of capitalism. And von Hayek said, you know, I've, I've troubled over this for years, and I've finally concluded that for intellectuals, pseudo-intellectuals, and all liberals, it's about control. It's not about raising revenue. You think Obama has any intention of paying for all of this spending? Folks, if he had any intention of paying for it, he wouldn't do 90% of it because we don't have the money. They don't care about paying for it. All that's just words. All that's just rhetoric, paying for it because he knows you have to worry about paying for it. He knows we all have to be concerned about, oh, except, wrong again, <laughs> except the wards of Barney Frank and Chris Dodd who were getting given homes that everybody knew they could never pay for. And now Barney Frank and Chris Dodd, the architects along with Bill Clinton of the policy that gave us the whole subprime mortgage crisis, get to sit around and act as innocent spectators to investigate what went on when they largely had the biggest role in causing it? Congressman Frank's definition of affordable housing is you get a house that you don't have to pay for that uh, everybody else in the neighborhood will pay for. And why? Well, because it's unfair that some people can have a house and some people can't. See, it's just unfair. So, here we have two systems. We have socialism, collectivism, Stalin, whatever you want to call it, versus, versus uh, capitalism. Now, admittedly, over here on the right side, capitalism there will be unequal outcomes because we're all different. And some of us care more and have more passion and we know what we want to do and others are still struggling for it. Some people are just going to work harder than others. Okay, you get what you work for. Those who have a genuine inability for whatever reason are taken care of. We're compassionate people. On the, on the left side, when you get into this collectivism, socialism stuff, these people on the left, the Democrats and liberals today, claim that they are pained by the inequities 
and the inequalities in our society. And they, 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 they believe that these inequities and inequalities descend from the selfishness and the greed of the achievers. And so they tell the people who are on different income quintiles, whatever lists, they say, it's not that you're not working hard enough. You could have what they have, perhaps, if you applied it. They're stealing it from you. So what liberals do, and I say this again to the, another thing, I know the people of the country are watching. I was watching a focus group after um, some event this week. It might have been after Obama's State of the Union show. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and, and they had it was it was a, it was a typical you know drive-by media focus group they round up losers <laughs> who hear Obama speak and think that the next day their gas tanks are going to get filled up they're going to get a new house a new kitchen a new car so this one guy said Oh, I get, it, was, it, was, it was some guy responding to Bobby Jindal. Oh, by the way, did you hear about Joe Biden? Joe Biden was mystified how Bobby Jindal got his shift off at 7-Eleven that night to make the speech. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. All right, time out. Time out. Suspend speech for explanation. People watching at home. See, this, this, I'm glad this happened. Glad this happened. You think I just made a joke an ethnic joke about Bobby Jindal, don't you? I didn't. I made a joke about the bigotry of the Vice President of the United States, Joe Biden. Joe Biden, while walking through the train station, he knows so well because he's such a real guy, uh, that he made a comment that you can't go into a 7-Eleven without seeing some Indian guy behind the counter. They're all over the place. Now, let a conservative say something like that, and he's brought up before a John Conyers committee with Pat Leahy wanting at you next. Okay, I, many of you think I lose my places in these speeches when I interrupt for this time, but I, I'm not. By the way, what time is it? Okay, we have plenty of time. We have to be out of here by... We have to be out of here by six, otherwise there's... A, all right, okay. Depends on how you behave. I'll decide as we go on here. What liberalism, Democrat Party, for those of you in the country, I really, I really want you to believe this because it's the truth. I'm not saying this because I believe it. It's in my, this is a core. We want the best country we can have. We want the most prosperous people. We want to be growing. We want to lead the world. We want everybody to want to come here legally. We want this country to be so damn great. And we just cringe to watch it basically capitalism be assaulted, assaulted and our culture be reoriented to where the people that make it work are the enemy? That's not the United States of America. The people that make this country work 
the people paying their mortgages, the people getting up and going to work, striving in this recession to not participate in it, they're not the enemy. They're the people that hire you. They're the people that are going to give you a job. They're the people that are going to give you a raise. The people that need you to do work for them. President Obama, and uh, take your pick of any Democrat, love to say, we've tried it your way, meaning Reaganism. We've tried it your way. We tried it your way in the 80s, it didn't work. We tried it your way eight years, just eight years, last eight years, it didn't work. Uh, excuse me. Excuse me. Have you ever noticed, those of you watching around the world in my first international address to the world. <laughs> Fox is on some international satellites. They're watching this in the UK right now going... <laughs> um, you ever wonder when, when Obama talks about past economies, he somehow always leaves out the recession of the 80s was worse than this one. Why does he leave it out? Because, you know why he leaves it out? America leaves it out because we got out of that recession with tax cuts. For those of you watching at home, I'm not nervous. It's just really hot in here. These people are wired. Now, we got out of the 1980s recession with tax cuts. Do you know that President Obama, in six weeks of his administration, has proposed more spending than from the founding of the country to his inauguration? This, this is not prosperity. It is not going to engender prosperity. It's not going to create prosperity. And it is also not going to advance or promote freedom. It's going to be just the opposite. There are going to be more controls over what you can and can't do, how you can and can't do it, what you can and can't drive, what you can and can't say, where you can and can't say it. All of these things are coming down the pike because it's not about revenue generation to them, it's about control. They do believe that they have compassion. They do believe they care. But see, we never are allowed to look at the results of their plans. We are told we must only look at their good intentions, their big hearts. The fact that they have destroyed poor families by breaking up those families, by offering welfare checks to women to keep having babies, no more father needed, he's out doing something, the government's the father, they destroy the family. We're not supposed to analyze that. We're not supposed to talk about that. We're supposed to talk about their good intentions. They destroy people's futures.
Future is not big government, self-serving politicians, powerful bureaucrats. This has been tried, tested throughout history. The result has always been disaster. President Obama, your agenda is not new, it's not change, and it's not hope. Spending Spending a nation into generational debt is not an act of compassion. All politicians, including President Obama, are temporary stewards of this nation. It is not their task to remake the founding of this country. It is not their task to tear it apart and rebuild it in their image. We have. It is not their task, it is not their right to remake this nation to accommodate their psychology. I sometimes wonder if liberalism is not just a psychosis or a psychology, not an ideology. It's, a, it's, it's so much about feelings and the predominant feeling liberalism is about is feeling good about themselves and they do that by telling themselves they have all this compassion. You know how to really, if you really want to unhinge a liberal, it's hard to do because they're so unhinged now anyway, <laughs> even after they, but all you have to do is say, you know what, the things you people do, the things you people believe in are cruel. That's the last way they look at themselves. They are, they are the best people on earth. They're the good people. You tell them that their ideas and that their policies are cruel and the eggs start scrambling and just, it's fun to do. I have learned how to tweak liberals everywhere. I do it instinctively now. I tweak them in the media, tweak them in the... There's no reason to be afraid of these people, but why in the world would you be afraid of the deranged? You know, there's, there really is no reason to be afraid of them. And there's no reason to assume they're the minority, and there's no reason to let them set all the premises and the agendas to which we respond to. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but everybody asks me, and I'm sure it's been a focal point of your convention, well, what do we do as conservatives? What do we do? How do we overcome this? Well, the one thing, and there are many, but one thing that we can all do is stop assuming that the way to beat them is with better policy ideas right now. I talked, I don't want to name any names, it's not the point, but I, I talked to people about the Obama budget, or the Obama porculus bill, or the Obama whatever the hell next, the TARP 2, whatever it's going to be. And they start talking to me in the terms of process and policy. You know, and I say, stop it. We're not, this, what do you mean? Who's setting the process? Who's setting the policy? They are. You want to tweak it? You want to, no, we've, uh, give, this is philosophy, folks. This guy, this guy, I forgot to, this guy in the, in, the, in the focus group after Bobby Jindal said, oh God, I didn't want to hear him talk. He says, Republicans and Democrats, Republicans and Democrats. Ladies and gentlemen of the United States of America, that's exactly what your future is about. Who wins, Republicans or Democrats, conservatives versus liberals. The notion of partisanship, 
false premise, partisanship. Let me define bipartisanship for you first. Bipartisanship, because everybody seems to go orgasmic over the concept of bipartisanship. <laughs> Don't worry, I, I checked with Fox, that word's okay. <laughs> Remember. They covered the, the Lewinsky thing, so this, that's mild. <laughs> Partisanship occurs only after one other result, and that is victory. In other words, let's say, as conservatives, liberals demand that we be bipartisan with them in Congress. What they mean is, we check our core principles at the door, come in, let them run the show, and then agree with them. That's bipartisanship to them. To us, bipartisanship is them being forced to agree with us after we have politically cleaned their clocks and beaten them. And that has to be what we're focused on. Why? Why would any of us in this room who hold the core beliefs we believe, somebody tell me where is the compromise on all of this spending? Where is the compromise on all this punishment of the achievers? I don't know. Where is... <laughs> Where is the compromise between good and evil? Should Jesus have cut a different deal? <laughs> well, no, seriously, from a standpoint of what we have to do, folks, this is not about taking a policy or a process that the Democrats have put forward and fighting over it about around the edges. We have, if we're, if we're going to convince the minds and hearts of the American people that what's about to happen to them is as disastrous as anything in their lives in peacetime, we're going to have to discuss philosophy with it. We are going to have to talk about principle. Because our principles are not present in what's happening here. So where the hell do we go to compromise what we believe in when our principles are not there? Our principles are just the opposite of what is happening. The American people, it's a tough challenge. I'm, I, admit, I admit it's a tough challenge, but it's worth it. It's worth it. The way I just defined bipartisanship, you could turn it around. That liberals will define bipartisanship when we surrender and say, okay, we give. We're not quitting. We are not giving up. There is countries too important. We... Now, there are certain realities. We don't have the votes in Capitol Hill to stop what's going to happen. What we can do is slow it down. Procedure, parliamentary procedures, slow it down and do the best we can to inform the American people of what's really on the horizon. I know it's going to be tough. At some point, I don't think it can happen even right now. I mean, this is still a honeymoon period and 
and there's a, there's a lot of uh, devotion to the Obama administration. It has nothing to do with intellect or thinking. Uh, it's, it's feelings. It's just going to take some time for this to play out. But I, I spoke to David Keene, uh, interviewing him for my newsletter. I asked him about this, and he said they're going to overreach. <laughs> Wouldn't you say they have? <laughs> I mean, I, they, they're going to overreach. At some point, at some point, people are going to realize none of this is possible. You can't have people living in homes they don't pay for. You can't have people driving cars they don't pay for. I mean, you can for a while, but after a while, the people paying for it are fine. Screw this. We're not putting up with it. And you're going to see, and you're already starting to see evidence of this, all these tea parties that are starting to bubble up out there. Those are great. It's fabulous. And here's the big question. Here's the big question. And I ask this again in the context of my first address to the nation. You don't know how I love saying that, how excited I am about this. This is. Uh, aside from the bastardization of the Constitution that the Obama plans are, that TARP is, yeah. it's not constitutional. Aside from that, where is the evidence that the people authoring all this have ever succeeded in any similar plans before? There's none. There is no evidence it works. So, is it, well then how, how's he getting it done? Dumb down public education, dumb down public emotions, and the ongoing, this is why I think it's such a waste for a man as gifted as President Obama with the communication spills, skills. Do you know what? He could wipe out the Republican Party. He can wipe out the Republican Party if he would inspire this country to be the best it could be. But we don't have to worry about that because that's not what he wants. He wants people in fear, angst, and crisis, fearing the worst each and every day because that clears the decks for President Obama and his pals to come in with the answers, which are abject failures historically shown and demonstrated. Doesn't matter. They'll have control of it when it's all over. And that's what they want, because they think they can do it better. They see these inequalities, these inequities that capitalism produces. How do they try to fix it? Do they try to elevate those at the bottom? No, they try to tear down the people at the top. It's not fair you're up there, so they whack you. That's not what made the country great. And no evidence of it is in play here. John Kerry. Served, served in Vietnam. <laughs> now stop and think of this. And by the way, Barney Plank got involved in this too. <laughs> Northern Trust, a bank in Chicago, by, by the way, which holds the mortgage to the Messiah's house purchased by Tony Resco. Yeah. Northern Trust holds the mortgage. Northern Trust was forced, like Wells Fargo was forced, to take TARP money. The Wells Fargo CEO said they were taken into Paulson's room and they were given a five o'clock to sign it and they weren't getting out until they did. They wanted it spread all over the banking business. Northern Trust was in there. They didn't want it. They took 1.6 million. 
As you know, they went out, they sponsored the LA Riviera Open two weeks ago that Phil Mik Mickelson barely hung on a one. And you're like, Phil? Like, and uh, we find out that they hired some liberals to entertain, but it still wasn't good enough. They hired Sheryl Crow. They hired the, uh, the uh, rock crooner group Chicago. But they had the audacity, Northern trusted to entertain their clients, to try to reward their best customers, to try to get new customers. Banking's in trouble. Northern Trust is trying to do what they always do, what all businesses do, and that is mine for new clients and reward existing good customers. Not since they took 1.6 billion, I guess, the haughty John Kerry wrote a piece of legislation said he's getting sick and tired. Sick and tired of these CEOs using taxpayer money to throw all these lavish parties. And I'm saying, where do you get yours, Senator? <laughs> Sad thing, sad thing is that it works. They've created class envy in so many average Americans that they love hearing that. Yeah, you get even with those bank guys. How's it going to improve here? Let me ask you a question, those of you watching in my first national address. <laughs> take, the, take, take the favorite villain you've got. Maybe it's John Thane at Merrill Lynch because he used his own money, his company's own money, to redecorate a bathroom in an office for $1.2 million. By the way, to do that, he had to hire a contractor. They got paid. He had to hire a designer, had to buy furniture. That's called stimulus. And he did it. And but all of a sudden, John Thane's thrown out. John Thane's humiliated. John Thane's embarrassed. How dare he? He did this a year before they took TARP money. And all these congressmen, are standing up saying, this is not going to happen. We are not going to watch these people capping executive pay while Obama tries to live like one. You know, he's trying to emulate the lifestyle he is attacking. That's what liberals do. The two sets of rules, one for them, one for everybody else. But it's coming if, see, if, if, you, if you think that John Thane or the Northern Trust CEO, if you love them getting attacked, if you love them being ripped, ask yourself the next day, do you have any more money in your pocket? Is your life any better because that guy got taken out or taken down by some haughty senator from Massachusetts? And if you ask yourself this, you will realize your life is no better off that the Democrats and, and Obama are asking you to feel better simply on the basis that they're going to get revenge for you, but your life isn't going to improve. Somebody else's is just going to be destroyed, and they want you to be happy over that. That's sick, and that is not the United States of America movement, as it were. We, ladies and gentlemen, have uh, challenges that are part and parcel of a movement that feels it has just suffered a humiliating defeat when it's not humiliating. This wasn't a landslide victory, 52 to what, 46? 58 million people voted against Obama. There would have been more if we'd have had a conservative nominee. But, no, 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 no. no. I, I don't mean that. I mean that. I mean that in an instructive way, as, as a lead-in to, to what I'm talking about here. There's no humiliating defeat here. I can't tell you, sometimes I get livid uh, and angry. We do have an organizational problem. We have a challenge. We've got factions now within our own movement seeking 
power, to dominate it, and worst of all, to redefine it. Well, Constitution doesn't need to be redefined, conservative intellectuals. The Declaration of Independence does not be need, to, need to be redefined, and neither does conservatism. Conservatism is what it is, and it is forever. It's not something you can bend and shape and flake and form. of this occasion, I'm not going to mention any names, I bet with you I won't have to, uh, people watching my first address to the nation might be curious what I'm talking about. They will find out in due courses, trust me on this. I cringed, it might have been 2007, late 2007 or sometime during 2008, but a couple of prominent conservative but beltway establishment media types began to write on the concept that the era of Reagan is over. Now, and that we needed to adapt our appeal. Because after all, what's important in politics is winning elections. And so we have to understand that the American people they want big government. We just have to find a way to tell them we're no longer opposed to that. And we will come up with our own version of it that is wiser and smarter, but we've got to go get the Walmart voter, and we've got to get the Hispanic voter, and we've got to get the recalcitrant independent women. And, we, and I'm listening to this, and I am just apoplectic. The era of Reagan is over. When the hell do you ever hear a Democrat say the era of FDR is over? You never hear it. Not only that, the President of the United States today, alternate days, thinks he's FDR, thinks he's Abraham Lincoln, and sometimes, like Tuesday night, thinks he's Ronald Reagan. We have, our own movement has members trying to throw Reagan out while the Democrats know they can't accomplish what they want unless they appeal to Reagan voters. We have got to stamp this out within this movement because it will tear us apart. It will guarantee we lose elections. We have to. You see, to me, it's... It's, it's, not, it's, it's not even, it's a no-brainer. It's not even something to me. How do, you, how do you get rid of Reagan from conservative? The blueprint, the blueprint for landslide conservative victory is right there. Why in the hell the so-called smartest people in our room want to chuck it? I mean, I know why. I, ha I, I know exactly why. It's because they're embarrassed of some of the people who call themselves conservatives. These people are New York, Washington cocktail elitists. And they get made fun of when the next NASCAR race is on TV and their cocktail party buds come up to them. I can't believe those people are in your party. I, I can't put up with this. You know, and so it, it'd be easy to throw them overboard so as to maintain these cocktail party Beltway, New York City, uh, inside the Beltway media relationships. But I tell you, this notion that 
Reaganism is dead, that conservatism needs to be refined. Let's take a look at this. We've got to go get the Walmart voter. I opened my remarks tonight by telling the people watching on Fox who we conservatives are. When I look out at you in this audience, I don't see a Walmart voter, and I don't see a black, and I don't see a woman, and I don't see a Hispanic. I see human beings who happen to be fortunate enough to be the luckiest people on earth. You are Americans. I don't... Conservatism. For us to make the decision that we've got to figure out policies <laughs> to get the Walmart voter, uh, pst, we've got most of them already is the bottom line. We, conservatism is a universal set of core principles and you don't check principles at the door. Uh, th this is a battle that we're going to have, and there's a, there are egos involved here too. There is a, uh, you know, it, it, when the situation like ours exists, there are people who want to lead it. They want to redefine it. Their egos are such that they want to be the next X, whoever it is. Uh, and so there will be different factions lining up to um, to try to define what conservatism is, and beware of those different factions who seek as part of their attempt to redefine conservatism as making sure the liberals like us, making sure the media likes us. They never will as long as we remain conservatives. They can't possibly like us. They are our enemy in a political arena of ideas. They're our enemy. They think we need to be defeated. Why do you think, you all in this room know this, for those of you watching at home, my first address to the nation. Yeah. I'm sure you paid close enough that you knew that at one time Senator McCain was the favorite Republican of all the cable news networks and the Sunday shows. And they would just, I mean, their tongues would be on the floor, the media people, <laughs> when they knew that McCain was, and they would treat McCain as the greatest guy in the world. Did you at home wonder why? You were told it's because he was moderate. He was not uh, strict. He was not, uh, he was not an uh, authoritarian. He was able to walk to the other side of the aisle. He was able to get along with the enemy. And everybody wants love and bipartisanship. <laughs> That's not why they invited Senator McCain. They invited Senator McCain because he happened to be the loudest at criticizing his own president and his own party, and that's what they want, is people from our side who, and there will be factions in our movement, folks, who are going to make an effort to say we have to, we have to grow, we can't stay stale, I think I heard the term used the other day. Nothing stale about freedom. There's nothing stale about liberty. There's nothing stale about fighting for it. Nothing stale whatsoever. Freedom. You're getting tired of standing up? I don't blame you. By the way, for those of you watching on TV, you think the standing O's uh, getting a little... People just tired. They've been up and out of their chairs a hundred times here.
you, thank you. Freedom. Freedom is the natural yearning of the human spirit as we were endowed by our Creator. And the United States of America is the place in the world where that yearning flourishes, where freedom is expected because it's part of the way we're created. I loved it when the Soviet Union went down, the wall went down, and the liberals in our country said, you know, they may not be ready for freedom over there. Um, they've been oppressed here for... Yeah, see, liberals will gladly tell you who can have freedom and who can't. And that's what this piece, the pieces of legislation is all about, folks. Freedom, liberty, economic prosperity, they're all entwined here. We're going to have to, as a conservative movement, understand that our job, after we come to an agreement among ourselves, which shouldn't be hard, but it's going to be difficult because the people who think they're smarter than everybody else are, are going to be out there forging alliances with people that try to make themselves look like new power brokers, and they will become the spokesman, by the way. Uh, by the way, explain that to you. This is a funny story. Show you how I can hijack a news cycle even by doing nothing. <laughs> the Tuesday before the inauguration, President Bush invited me to the Oval Office for lunch. And it was uh, on and off the record, some of the conversations. And he, uh, he brought out, interesting, at the end of it, my birthday had been the day before, he brought out a chocolate birthday cake, a microphone, and stood beside me with uh, Ed Gillespie and sang happy birthday, and the White House photographer taking pictures. It was just, wish my parents were alive. I just, it's, it, it is, the, my parents wouldn't believe my life. You know, they came, they came out of Great Depression. They didn't think this was possible for somebody who did not go to college. And even for people who did, they didn't think this was possible. Life has changed so much for the better in this country. That's why I cringe when I see what is in store. So as I'm flying home from lunch, I'm watching television, and I see that the word has leaked out that Obama is hosting a dinner with conservative media pundits at the home of George Will. And I said, wonder who these people are. <laughs> In the media, one of them is going to have to leak it. Sure as heck, one did. Now, we all know who were there. They were, and let's see, I, 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 I can't remember all the names, so I don't I want to mention any. But let me tell you what Obama's purpose. Does anybody really think that Barack Obama had dinner with a bunch of conservatives hoping they would change his mind? <laughs> Hell no. His purpose... And his purpose really wasn't to change theirs. His purpose was to anoint them as conservative spokesmen. These are the people that Obama's willing to break bread with. These, these happened, some of the people there happen to be the people who think the era of Reagan is over, who believe that conservatism needs to be redefined. Of course Obama would try to lure them in. Well, all of a sudden, I... Um, I land, I get home about 5 o'clock, and my email is jammed with, uh, with, with questions from reporters. Are you? Is that why you took the day off today? Is that why you're not on the air? Is that why you, are you going to dinner with Obama? <laughs> By the way, I left out a crucial part of the story. I had, for, this, this was a, was this a Monday kit that this, this was a, this was a Monday? Or, no, it was a Tuesday. 
And I had forgotten to tell my audience I was going to miss the next day. And I signed off my show saying, I'll see you tomorrow. And that's the last thing I said. And my staff reminded me, no, you're not going to be here tomorrow. Oh, I came up with a plan that the guest host the next day would say I was called out of town to Washington at midnight the night before. <laughs> so just an innocent little trick on the radio audience. Everybody picked that up and thinks I'm invited to the Obama. So those people that were invited to it got less coverage than I did, and I didn't even know about it. So it was fun. Conservatives are um, naturally happy. Uh, we seek happiness, we pursue it. Uh, it's part of who we are. So what can you do? Live your life. I, sw I swear, folks, you do not know in just the everyday life that you live in your neighborhoods, your homes, or the favorite word this administration, your communities. <laughs> Remember the root word there is commune. Be happy. Live your life according to your values, your principles, knowing that you're going to fail. I mean, not every, no human being is perfect. You're going to make mistakes. But live your life. You never, you will, you'll be stunned at how many people you, you impress. Uh, don't be afraid to tell children that they're wrong. They don't know what you do. They simply haven't lived long enough. It's not their fault. But they're being fed a bunch of garbage in school. And don't be afraid to tell them that they're wrong. Uh, don't go the Oprah route say, Got to be friends with my parents, or with my kids first and foremost. Understand they're going to hate you for a while, and they're going to rebel against you, and then someday they're going to think you're the smartest person you ever, they ever met. But you owe them the truth. You owe them the truth about things. You owe them the truth about morality. You owe them the truth about values. You owe them the truth about politics. Next thing, we've got to stop treating voters as children. Um, somebody says they want something that's bad for them. Do you give it to them just to be nice? Or do you tell them, regardless of their age, no, you shouldn't have that? Well, it's none of your business. Well, maybe not, but I still don't. And then you, you back out of it. But you still have to have the ability to tell people what's right and wrong. And that's not authoritative. Uh, that's not authoritarian, and it's not trying to deny somebody a good time. It's not trying to interrupt somebody's hedonism, pleasure. It's about all of us with shared values, trying to make sure that people live the highest quality lives they can, but that ultimately it's their decision as to what they do. But the point is, don't treat them like, especially voters, as kids, just if they say they want it, okay, we'll come up with a plan to give it to you. Have any of you seen the movie? I, I've never heard of it. But I, I, um, I happened to get it on DVD the other day. Have you ever seen the movie A Swing Vote with Kevin Costner? Yeah. Well, now, you know, it's kind of a moronic movie, as most things out of Hollywood are. But this, this was fascinating in the way that it, it, I'll tell you a short story. Because of a voter screw-up in New Mexico, there is one voter who is going to elect the president. His vote didn't count because his daughter voted for him. I'm not going to give the whole story away, but... Uh, Mexico's electoral votes, New Mexico's electoral votes, determine. And they have a two-week period before this guy can vote again. So the challenger and the president both relocate to where this guy lives 
in New Mexico, and they end up like the Democrat, played by uh, Peter uh, uh, Hop Dennis Hopper, stands for anti-abortion. The Democrat candidate comes out with a commercial for life. The Republican candidate comes because this guy is an idiot and doesn't know what he believes, and every utterance that he makes, these politicians react to it, throwing their principles on the floor just to get his vote. Sadly, this is what some of the conservative intellectuals in our movement want to do, essentially, and that we cannot do. We've got to stand for what we believe and treat people as adults and understand they can learn. It's called optimism. Joe Biden again, uh, ladies and gentlemen. He's <laughs> watching the CBS. When did you start here? Thursday? Yeah. Uh, you might have seen this. I, I, the days run together. It might have been Wednesday, but Biden was on the CBS early show. And he was asked, they did a, they, the, the anchorette. <laughs> Sorry. I, I'm trying to change my ways. I've been doing women's summit programs so not to offend women. <laughs> Uh, the anchor, Maggie Rodriguez, when I got some man on the street questions, and one guy, woman, I think, question for Biden, what is in the stimulus package for small business? Well, Biden was clearly stumped because there isn't anything in the stimulus package for small business. So what Biden said, honest to God, what Biden said was, well, if there's a bridge to your small business, we're going to make sure that bridge stays open so that you can get to your small business and your customers can get... Honest? I, I kid you not. Now, of course, the media today is just a bunch of hacks, so they're out there as PR agents. They're starting to get a little embarrassed. Cause... So then Maggie Rodriguez says, well, uh, Senator Biden, there's a website that answers all these questions. Uh, what, what is the name of the website? And Biden says, I, I don't know, and he looks off stage. Does somebody have the website number? <laughs> I realize those of you watching at home during my first address to the nation, you have never heard liberal Democrats be made fun of in this way. Get used to it. things, and then we'll get out of here contractually over time. Uh, the president's stimulus package, the TARP, the whatever, the budget, relies on one thing for its success. Well, aside from authoritarian government power, it, it relies on the complacency of the American people. It relies on their belief that they can convince the American people that there's such a crisis that the only government, the only en entity that can fix its government, as Obama has said. So they get complacent and they sit around and, and, they, uh, and they wait. But see, this is something liberals will never understand about the United States of America and it's right under their noses, right in front of their faces. 
We are a competitive people. We strive, enough of us do, to be the best. We strive to win. We strive to avoid defeat. Enough of us still do. Don't believe otherwise. The liberals have made efforts to shut that aspect of our nature down. Wherever you live, I am certain that you, when you were a child, or your kids today in youth sports, are told not to keep score because the losers, it's just not fair. They'd, get, they'd be humiliated, especially if one girl's basketball team can defeat another one 100 to nothing. Let's, let's just, and let's, let's fire the coach who put that game together. That's just, it's so unfair. So let's not keep score. Well, here's the dirty little secret. The kids are keeping score. <laughs> you know they are. They don't want to lose. They know what winning and losing is. They're saying to themselves, well, why go out there and put on the pads and play football or t-ball if the objective here is to not keep score? Why? So they're keeping score, and they get in the car with mom and dad, and they tell mom and dad, yeah, we kicked their butts tonight. <laughs> Wait a minute, I thought you weren't keeping score. Well, they weren't officially, but they keep score. We are a competitive people. Adults are doing the same thing. It didn't take long for people to get fired up when they figured out that they're going to be paying mortgages for people who should never have been lent money in the first place for the bogus excuse of maintaining property values in a neighborhood. Uh, this is something that, you know, it, the complacency of the American people is something they're going to rely on, along with their authoritarian efforts to control it, but they will not succeed at this because we're not quitters, we don't acquiesce, we're not going to give up the American dream and watch idly while it is restructured and transformed. As I say, we want the best happiness for everybody. Now about my still to me mysteriously controversial comment that I hope President Obama fails. I was watching the Super Bowl. And as you know, I love the Pittsburgh Steelers. They have this uh, it's just so they have, they have this miraculous scoring drive that puts them up by four. Fifteen seconds left, Kurt Warner on the field for the Cardinals. And I sure as heck want you to know, I hope he failed. I did not want the Cardinals to win. I wanted Warner to make the biggest fool of himself possible. I wanted a sack. I wanted anything. I wanted the Steelers to win. I wanted to win. I wanted the Cardinals to fail. This notion that I want the president to fail, folks, this shows you a sign of the problem we've got. That's nothing more than common sense and to not be able to say it. Why in the world do I want what we just described, rampant government growth, indebtedness that has not been, wealth that is not even being created yet is, is, is being spent. What is in this? What possibly is in this that any of us want to succeed? Of did, the, did the Democrats want the war in Iraq to fail? Yeah. 
Well, they certainly did. And they not only wanted the war in Iraq to fail, they proclaimed it a failure. There's dingy Harry Reid raving a white flag. This war is lost. This war... They called General Petraeus a liar before he even testified. Mrs. Clinton. said she had to suspend, willingly suspend disbelief or whatever to listen to Petraeus. We're in the process of winning the war. The last thing they wanted was to win. They hoped George Bush failed. So where is it? What, what is so strange about being honest and saying, I want Barack Obama to fail if his mission is to restructure and reform this country so that capitalism and individual liberty are not its foundation? Why would I want that to succeed? going on I know it's I know what's going on we're in the um, we're in the, the, the aspects here of a, an historic presidency I know that but let me be honest again I got over the historical aspects of this in November <laughs> President Obama is our president President Obama stands for certain things I don't care he could be a Martian he, he could be he, he could be from Michigan. I don't like it. Doesn't matter to me what his race is. It doesn't matter. He's liberal is what matters to me. And his articulated, his articulated plans scare me. Now I understand, okay, we can't say we want the president to fail. Mr. Limbaugh, that's like saying, this is the voice of the new Castrati, by the way, guys that have lost their guts. I want, I want the country to su survive as we have known it, as you and I were raised in it, is what I mean. Now, I have been called, and I can take it. Look, pioneers take the arrows. I don't mind what anybody says about me. Anytime, ever, it doesn't, I don't have time for it. I don't give other people the power to offend me, and you shouldn't either, by the wasted time being offended. Don't let... But... I mean, I, there's some people you, you just, you can't, you can't, you can't say that you want the president to fail. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of the United States, the Democrat Party has actively not just sought the failure of Republican presidents and policies and now wars for the first time. The Democrat Party doesn't stop at failure. Talk to Judge Robert Bork, talk to Justice Clarence Thomas about how they try to destroy lives, reputations, and character. And I'm supposed to say I don't want the president to fail? for a real battle. We are talking about 
the United States of America, and there will always be an America, don't misunderstand, but we're talking about it remaining the country we were all born into and reared and grown into. And it's under assault, it's always under assault, but it's never been under assault like this from within before. And it's a serious, serious battle. So as you leave here, as, as, as you leave here, optimism, confidence, not guilt, it's not worth it, there's nothing to be guilty about. Don't treat people as children. Respect their intelligence. Realize that there's a way to persuade people. Sometimes the worst way is get in their face and point a finger. Set up a set of circumstances where the conclusion is obvious. Let them think they came up with the idea themselves. Then they'll think they're smart and they figured it out themselves. Who cares how you persuade them? The fact that they can be persuaded is factually correct. It's possible. But the main thing to do here, stop thinking that we are a minority. Stop thinking, stop, th stop thinking that it is being in the minority that liberates you. It is your beliefs, it is your core principles, it is your confidence that liberates you. It is not being in the minority. We, in fact, for those of you watching my first national address, if you're still hanging in there, uh, we really not that happy about being a minority and we're out to change it. Now, so, I have, uh, I've gone over my allotted time by an hour. I, I, I want to thank all of you so much for everything that you um, have meant to me and my family thank you. in my life. Now wait, see, not, well, it's, I understand it's mutual, and I, I hear people, you have, you, have, you have made my heart grow so much that it barely fits in my chest cavity here tonight. Uh, but the, the things that, that, by virtue of your listening to my radio show and being active in this movement that we all cherish and love, uh, you have meant more to me, my family, and my life than whatever it is I might mean to you, even though I know that's considerable. Uh, <laughs> you, still, you still can't, you can't outdo the absolute joy and awe and thanks I feel for all of you. The fact, I've been doing this for 20 years and the numbers just keep growing and I can't tell you how appreciative I am and proud to be in a movement with the same passions, desires and core beliefs that all of you have because we know that it's right for the country and we know it's right for people. It's not something that has to be forced on them. It's not something that has to be authoritatively pressed on them. We are what is. And that's why we are an enemy, because we're effective. The people that do want control uh, look at us as the enemy. We're always going to be. Don't ever measure your success by how many drive-by media reports you see that are fair to us. Never going to happen. Don't measure your success by how many people like you. Just worry about how they vote. Amen. And then, at the end of the day, how they live. But that's really none of your business once they close the doors.
Thank you all very much. It's been great.